Hello, Marquette basketball fans. Welcome to another edition of the Golden Break, but not like anyone you've listened to before because tonight the show has been taken over by the one and only my co-host, Jarrell McNeil. What an absolute blast. We talked about it all. We went on and on. If you are part of Marquette Nation, you are going to love this show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at The Golden Break. Let's get this party started. We are joined by the one, the only, Jarrell McNeil. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing really good, man. Uh, glad to be back on and uh, get an opportunity to talk a little bit of Marquette Hoops with us, man. We got a lot to talk about. We do, man. Let's get right into it. You know, let's start with last night's game. You know, the physical nature of which the Marquette defense played really disrupted Nova's offense. You know, I thought guys like Oso, who had a come in for Kerr, who was in foul trouble, did a great job of blitzing ball screens and driving the ball handler laterally. Uh, in both games, we completely took the three away from Nova. What did you see on the Marquette defensive side that allowed them to shut it down? Oh, uh, man, first it was – it was uh, they fed right into the great atmosphere, man. The, uh, the, the student sections and the kids had it rocking, man, uh, last night. It was really cool to see. And, uh, you know, they got after them early. They picked up full court. They did a little bit of zone, a little bit of zone pressing, breaking off back into a man-to-man on the backside. But, man, uh, and they were actually able to, uh, to get some early turnovers out of that and kind of knock Nova out of a rhythm early on. And, uh, you know, that's, and that's big, especially, especially when you're at home. Most teams that come in a hostile environment, uh, for, the, for the most part, the road players don't shoot it. They shoot it better at home usually than they do on the road. And just to get, just to get them out of sync, throw them out of rhythm a little bit so they're not getting open and early looks to get them going. It was uh, it was big time, man, and it was uh, it was really cool though, man. They really fed off of the crowd's energy. You know, one of the things that I think they do really well in disrupting an offense is the way they they jump into passing lanes. You know, especially those off the ball defenders. Like I, I think sometimes uh, it's hard to recognize like how much effort and energy it takes to be an off the ball defender. Keep your guy here on my on my left, but keep the ball handler over here and get in that passing lane. Tell me a little bit, what are some things you need to make sure you're doing as a defender to, to do that? Because we do it so well, and all guys do, that 25 deflections, 29, 30 deflections. I mean, you see that no, number go up, I think, because of the way they play specifically in those passing lines. Yeah, it's definitely really cool. I mean, but the first the first thing, uh, first and foremost with that is uh, we got some guys that have some really great length on this team, man. And that's uh and that's a big attribute to have in the game of basketball, especially on the defensive end. Uh, when you get guys that have really long wingspans, and then they kind of start to get the buying in with not only just having long wingspans, but playing with your your hands up, your arms out, like you said, shooting those passing lanes, getting deflections, and things like that. Uh, man, it, it, it can be uh it can be really traumatizing for offensive guys, especially for smaller guards. Man, and we do a really good job of that. Man, those guys were aggressive uh, early and often, and mo- and a lot of the ball screen action, not uh not letting Gillespie and some of the other really good guards on Villanova get going and get open looks early. Man, just you know, and the thing I loved about it, they really guarded the three point line. And they just, you know, even when they got in scrambled situations, they just continued to rotate, running guys off the line, running guys off the line, making the offensive guys make the next play. And uh, to be to be honest, 
Nova Nova traditionally is really good at doing that. But uh, with, with our length at the rim, you know, we kind of forced them into some tough spots. We ate up some clock on a on on the back end of the court because I said, like I said early on, with uh, with some of the pressing defenses, so that slowed them down a little bit, chewed up some clock, and uh, you know they had a lot of tough tough baskets at or around the rim, over trying to trying to shoot over our length, and that's kind of where you want them to be at. So, I love uh, the the scrambling of this team. You're always going to scramble in a defensive position. You know what I mean? It's just the nature. You're playing a team like Nova, the way they move the ball. Like there's just going to be times where you're, you're sprinting out. Have you seen a team or do you remember being on a team that scrambled this well, that rotated this well? Oh man. Yeah. I'm about to say that it, 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 it slightly reminds me of, some of the teams that we had early on, only difference is they just have they have a lot more length than we do. So I would think some of our teams was were a little bit faster, uh, a little bit more, a, a lot more parts that were interchangeable. We did a lot of switching because so many guys were the same, close to the same size, that could guard the same positions. Uh, so, but those guys have the length on the back end as well, man. We didn't have the length that they have in the rim protection as well. So that's really cool to see, but uh, you know they really they do a really good job. But like I said, just guarding that line, man, and making the next play, man. And it's funny because I, I talk a lot to that about my high school guys and uh, and some of my kids. And, hey, you just constantly making the next play. You know, most of the time on defense, even when you make mistakes, it can be covered up by the biggest thing is just not stopping. You're only really wrong, completely wrong when you stop and give up on the play because you can always come into the back end. And if the rest of the guys are covering you the way that they should be, you can get back into the play and make it and make the play, the possession continue. And that's really what you want to do defensively. Make make guys use a lot of clock, make them use a ton of passes, a ton of energy to get a good look. And you and if you and if you're able to do that consistently, you usually have pretty good eyes. Go on. Shaka talks about the multiple efforts. I think that's exactly what you're talking about with your team. You know, we always used to tell the kids possession isn't over to the ball goes to the hoop, you know, and especially for a team like Marquette who gives up so many offensive rebounds, that can really be like an energy suck for a defense. You know what I mean? Especially young guys, you know, when you play a great possession of defense and you give up that all rebound, it's like, God damn it. Right. Like, but the mentality to, to stay in a possession, I think, really starts to speak to how good a team can be. And especially with these guys, I want to talk about uh, the full court pressure uh, with the length that they, when they put Omax at the front of that one, two, two, three quarter press, when you've got like Omax, who's literally almost Absolutely. like sideline to sideline with that length. Um, yeah. What does a one, two, two, like, what are some of the principles of it that you think makes it so effective for this Marquette team? Uh, I think the the biggest thing is to remember the reason why they're doing it. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, most one two two presses, unless it's like a diamond one two one one where they're trapping where you're trapping everything, which is not what they're doing. It's really to slow slow the defense, uh, slow the offense down a little bit. You know what I mean? You kind of you kind of have to go with it. Uh, even front against the eye, uh, eye front press. So you usually have two guys back, and what they end up doing is kind of just like teeter-tottering, seesawing and throwing the ball back and forth, back and forth, and which is like what you said, makes it really uh, – makes it more difficult because a guy like Omax is able to get at the point of that. And, you know what I mean? You got you got to make – you got to be careful because you know, <laughs> he's an athletic guy. He's range. He's long. So, you know, it's a little bit different when you're throwing the ball over a 6'7", 6'8", guy. Six 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 seven six eight guy than it is a 
5'10 or a six foot guy, you know what I mean? And especially when he's playing with his length and with his hands up. And, uh, and, and you also could be opportunistic with it as well. The main thing is that you don't want to let the ball hit the middle too early and just get a free break right down, and, uh, right down the court. But, uh, you know, tr- primarily you usually try to get maybe a trap maybe a trap around half court on on either side, close close to the half court line, close to the sideline, those type of situations, you might get one out of it or opportunity to uh, create a turnover. But more than anything, it's just really to slow guy, slow the offense down, burn time off the clock. If you can make them spend an extra six or seven seconds in the backcourt trying to break the press, it helps you out because then they have to come in the front court and they don't have as much time to go through their offensive possession by the time they get something called and get into the actual offense in a play, you know, hopefully the shot clock should be winding down. So, well, and I think it's cool how Shaka changes the type of pressure he applies. You know, he knows with Villanova, he's not going to turn you over a team like that's too disciplined. You're not going to get Gillespie fumbling the ball a lot. Although, you know, actually last night they did a little bit, but still not at a really high clip. And you're right. He he uses that pressure to kind of kill the clock a little bit more for them, but, you know, I think earlier in the season, we've been running all sorts of different types of pressure. We did that against St. Bonaventure early in the year. And they're just, we played the diamond to try to turn them over and trap them. And that was just too disciplined of a team. And they were scoring mm-hmm. off of us a lot. And I like how I've seen Shaka grow and adjust and say, listen, I'm going to think about what I'm going to deploy in these different situations. Um, yeah, Absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little bit about rebounding. You know, last night against Nova, rebounding wasn't a gigantic issue, but I think it was more because Nova was kind of choosing not to attack the glass. They were getting back on every miss, uh, you know, but against Providence, they were sending multiple guys at the glass and we were just right. getting punished, punished uh, with rebounds. Now, I, I don't know if this, and you could tell me, I want to know what you think. If you think I'm wrong about this, I, I'm not sure that this team has the personnel to be a great rebounding team. I really don't think it's effort that I think is the issue. Do you think a team that can make a run rebounding the way that they are? I I, I do. I do. And, uh, and like you said, um, all, all great teams, all teams that make a run aren't necessarily always great rebounding teams. A lot, a lot of that, uh, kind of, kind of has to coincide with some other things. You know, I don't think necessarily we have the personnel to be a, great rebounding team but the biggest thing is just making sure that you compete on the glass uh so that it doesn't hurt you and cost you games or cost you down the stretch when it counts the most and uh usually in most situations uh i say right now our team is averaging what 74 75 points a game offensively teams that get closer and on a college level to the high 70s and 80-point range are are usually good enough offensively to, to make up for rebounding margin unless it's something like monumental. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you play in a high 70s or the 80 range every night offensively, you have a pretty good offensive team. What you're doing is usually pretty, pretty successful offensively. And as long as you keep the rebounding close, you'll have a chance. And that's like I said, it's subjective because it's on most nights. But like I said, uh, even last night when Nova's kind of started to make a run at it uh, in the second half, well, before uh, Morcel kind of went off on his one man show, uh, 
you know, that that was kind of a, a an issue. I saw a couple of possessions where it wasn't necessarily Nova was just playing great offense. They were getting looks that we could live with, and we were playing pretty solid defense. And a guy might get a tip in or another two or three cracks at it, and that can kind of that can kind of wear you down, especially when you're playing with a longer shot clock, 30, 30 second shot clock, 35 seconds, whatever it is now. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you end up playing defense 45, 50 seconds if you're not careful, you know what I mean? So like you said, that can kind of be demoralized and especially when you have a team that's going all out and they're, and they're constantly exerting energy with the full court pressing and pressure and playing uh, violent as Coach Shaka would say, you know what I mean? Just playing with a certain type of authority, you know what I mean? You want to you get the job done. You want to get it done right the first time. You want to get the other team one crack at it and get out and make them play defense on the other end. You know, last night, actually really, especially over the last couple games, um, Marcel is showing me so much about his ability to create his own shot. I think having guys like him and Lewis who can make those shots when the clock is winding down, your offensive system isn't getting anything, and you need someone just to kind of create. But I think sometimes with players, it's hard sometimes to know when do I got to go get it? And when do I got to play in the offensive system? How do you do that when you're coaching with your guys? Because sometimes you got to let a player do his thing. You know what he can do in space. You know, an ISO is not the worst thing in basketball. And I think sometimes it gets, you know, we, you do need it from time to time, but it has to be a balance. How do you, how do you do that as a coach? Uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing is understanding uh, the moment. There, there, there are moments in every game. That calls uh, that call for different things a lot of times. I know uh, specifically for me as a coach, if you have a player on your team, you probably most teams I would say have one or two guys where they completely, you know, the coach completely trusts them. They trust their decision making, and they kind of get it going. Or you come into a pivotal moment to the game, you don't mind getting in those situations and letting that person have a, a, a little bit more freedom or free reign to kind of make a play on their own because you know that. Nine times out of ten, they're usually gonna, you know, what I mean, get something positive out of it, get a good look for themselves, and get a, a get an open shot for somebody else. So I think it's about trusting a lot of situations as well. But um, you know, like everything is time, and like I thought, I thought uh, Marcel was really cool last night just to see the maturity. You know, what I mean, that wasn't a that wasn't a second or a third year guy putting on that run at the end. That was a what is he a fourth, fifth year senior? Yeah. A fifth-year senior guy who's played a ton of basketball. He understands the game. He understands moments. And to be honest with you, he hadn't really got it going all night up until that point. And I think he came in out for the bench, if I'm not mistaken. It was kind of like the lead had got shrunk all the way down. I think it was got to three at one point before he kind of went on his little tangent. And it's like – the coolest thing about it was to see he I see I seen him get the mismatch that he wanted and clear everybody out and just like go into old school I bully ball <laughs> mode. I'm about to get to my spot on the floor because this dude is too small, I'm way too strong, and I'm just gonna rise up over him and elevate, man. And he hit some uh he hit some real some real grown man buckets down the stretch right there, man. That's what alpha. Like. like he was an alpha yeah. last night. And, and yeah, in a way that like, I feel like that game, he separated an alpha mentality that I haven't seen. I Shaka was saying in his post-conference that 
when uh, when he was coming off the bench and came in the game, he told coach, he's a coach. I, I got this. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Like yeah. hearing that, hearing that he said that and seeing him take over, like that, like gave me an expectation for this team. I think it blew it off the doors for me. What about you? I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, it was just a great moment just to see the leadership, man. And in those situations, you need a guy who's, like I said, who's played more basketball, who's been in them situation more to kind of step in and do that. Not necessarily like all the time is not going to be you, though. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The next night it might be him getting to those spots, drawing two guys and then making the next pass. You know what I mean? So but he read it and he played it perfectly. And you could see it after every shot he was making. He was making, it was, you know what I mean? Everybody calm down. We got this. Like, keep your poise. It's three, four minutes left. They done made they, they done made another hard run at us. It's a good team. We know they're going to make a hard run at us, but we're not going to piss it all the way in one sitting. You know what I mean? We're going to get a basket here, stop the bleeding, and then the most the most intriguing and the, and the, and the funnest thing for me to see was just the way that he kind of, elevated on both sides of the floor man he had an own ball block man who i haven't seen one of those in a while almost since i was playing i would probably say a guy just be able to beat somebody to the spot time it up like he did and just like throw it out uh jay lewis made a big three after that man place erupted and at that point i kind of let out a sigh of relief because you know usually i kind of felt i felt good i said the energy to take back over we probably got this one in the bag like those type of plays are momentum plays but it was all about his poise, his mindset, and he was just taking what the defense was giving to him. And he was making some tough shots too, man. So you got to give him credit for that, man. I had no idea coming into this year that that kid was going to have the effect on his team offensively the way that he was able to, man. He's having a hell of a year, and I'm uh, it's been fun to watch, man. I'm proud of all those guys. Well, you bring up an interesting point about you, like knowing when like it's your game or when it's your moment to take over, having that maturity – he said in his press conference, he's like, he's like in the first half, man, I didn't have it. And I was just telling Tyler, shoot it, dude, shoot it. Like, go get it. Go like, that is awesome. Because he knew then maybe I'm not falling for me. The maturity to say, Tyler, you go get yours. I'll pick you up over here. I'll help you up on that. So like, man, is that just something you really want in your team chemistry? Oh man, you can't, you can't, you can't put a price tag on that type of stuff, man. That's, that's what a team is about, man. And I can't imagine I can remember so many nights being like that with so many of my teammates on so many different levels, but not to mention Marquette, like me, Wes, and Neek. It was like that constantly, like, man, you know, you have a half and it's like, shit, I'm not really here tonight or I'm, it ain't feeling great. It ain't rolling down. I might have a foul or two or whatever it may be, but it's like, shit, you got it rolling, man. Go get it. Hold us down. And a lot of times in college, especially if you're in a tough game or an or an or on the road or in a tough environment, it's like shit, hold it down, just keep us close. And what you hope to do is go back to the locker room, regroup, come back out and be like, shit, I I I, I can help you. I can come to the party now. And that's exactly what it was. Like Justin had it going first half. Helmet and, uh him and Ty. Uh, shout out to my man, 22, Deuce Deuce, man. I love that kid, man. He plays, he played his ass off last night as well. Uh, just just making big time shots and you know giving us that energy and it got us it built up our early lead early in the first half and you know what I mean if we don't play from in front like that when they make that run in the second half who the hell knows what happens so those guys hold down the fort and then when shit gets kind of blurry at the end and 
nobody necessarily got it going. You get a guy like Marcel, older guy who steps in. It's like, well, shit, I ain't really came to the party yet, but I'm here now. So everybody calm down. Let's get this win and, and go home and celebrate. So it, it, it was cool to see, man. That's what the team is about. And, uh, you know, that's what that's what the camaraderie is about. You pick each other up constantly. Nobody could do this shit by themselves, man. So it was really mm -hmm. cool to see, man. Yeah, I, absolutely. So one of the things, too, I love about this team that I thought they did a great job of last night is I just love the way they run the floor. I, I, you would have loved I bet running with these guys because, man, they get up in transition, and especially the way Tyler Kolak, like, quarterbacks this team in trans. Um, you know, last night they had 20 fast break points. Even though Nova was sending dudes off the glass to try to chase them down, yep. it was nobody was stopping them. I think, I think sometimes fans <clears throat> don't always see how much strategy goes into transition offense. Sometimes it, you know, to the average fan, you might be watching and just thinking you got dudes running up a court and trying to score in odds. But there's a lot of principled action that goes into the way that you run the court. What are some of the principles that you see this Marquette team? Uh, show you on the floor with the way they run? I mean, I'll, I'll say this. The first thing about this is, and, and we were a, a huge proponent of this because we were, as far as pace of play, man, we played as fast as I can remember anybody in college basketball at the time playing with four guards, guys they can get out. We had multiple guys that, that could bring the ball up court. First thing that you don't see is the condition it takes. Uh, you got to be in great shape to play at a high pace consistently successfully is what I'll say. <laughs> I mean, anybody could try to do it and say, oh, man, I want to get a, a shot in the first 15 seconds of the shot clock. Well, that shit doesn't mean it's going to be a good shot. That don't mean your guys are going to make timely decisions. Usually when guys get tired, they have brain malfunction and make bad decisions. So you got to be in, in shape and great condition to do it. But, um, you know, beyond that, a big thing about uh, – a big part of it is, uh, is spacing. Uh for me, I start to tell everybody, like, uh, all the best players at any level, man, they they need space. So running wide, running all the way down, usually to the corners uh, for the wings, uh, always having a rim run guy for the bigs. You know, the first big usually is running right down the heart of the defense, put, trying to hit his head on the rim. And what that does is usually collapse the defense. Defenses are taught to build in. First, protect the rim, uh, pick up the ball, and then everybody else kind of trickle out and find that matchup. So spacing is big. Full balance is big. Making sure you got the right amount on each side, man. And uh, and like I said, just being able to do it at a, at, at a consistent rate and make good decisions, man. We got we got guys who are unselfish. They love to uh, to make the pass to hit, pass ahead instead of necessarily always dribbling up. Uh, the pass is faster than dribble. A lot of people don't understand that like the kick aheads are a lot hurt, are a lot harder to guard because it usually flattens out the defense as well, man. So we got guys that are really good at that. We got bigs that run the floor hard and they're really uh, long and athletic and rangy. So somebody has to account for them because if you don't, it's going to be a lob and a dunk over the top. So, man, we do a good job of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love just to see the, the rate of play that we're playing at this year, man, it's been fun to watch. And, uh, that was that was one of the things I was most excited about when Coach uh, Coach Smart got the job. I kind of had an idea for the way that most of his teams play. I was thinking more so of 
in the VCU days, though. You know what I mean? Like those guys played fast. They were kind of they were kind of undersized, though, like we were at the time when I was at Marquette in scrappy teams with a lot of really good guards, the guys that were like size. Plus. So now he's he's kind of got a good mix of both, man. He's got the size, the rim protection, but he also has long, agile guys that can get up and down and run the floors as well. So it's really cool to see. And, guy, and guys who play physical, which, yep. you know, I want to ask you, you know, I thought the refs were garbage last night. That's just my opinion. But I thought mm-hmm. it was inconsistent on both sides. Uh, they weren't calling things over here, but they were calling it over there. Uh, you know, you being the great defender that you were, when you had refs that were calling games, like they just, it's like every little thing you do, they're kind of just tagging your team for. Do you adjust the way you play? Like, how do you, how do you kind of balance that in the court? Because I'd imagine it's got to be so frustrating for a player who's really just, you know, field goal, hands up, guarding the hell out of someone. And they go into you and the guy blows the whistle. How do you yep. balance that on the court? Oh, uh, man, it, it, it was tough. And you're probably talking to the worst person in the world <laughs> to give you tips on it because I was so bad at it. Uh, no, seriously, though, um, I, I literally – and this is one of my big things because – and this is how I approach the game. I always approach the game from a defensive mentality. So it truly bothered me when guys score on me. I didn't want to give up – jack shit on the defensive end i wanted to lock down and cut off all room for air life whatever it may be (laughs) and a lot of times they got me in trouble or in foul trouble early in games but what 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 ended up happening to me is i'll say after my freshman year uh i had to sit down not only uh with, with coach but my uh with my dad as well and he was always telling me about it it came a point in time where i was too I was too important to the team offensively as well to continue to like constantly getting foul trouble doing the same thing, even though I was, you know, the lockdown defender and the best defender as well. And I had to usually guard one of the best guys on the team. So what I did going into it, and this was regardless of how the refs were calling it or adjusting it, was I used to try to, I used to play games with myself. I used to try to make it through. The and, and then a lot of guys will tell you this, this is like the worst four minutes in basketball for starters. Like the first five minutes of a basketball game is hell. Like nobody's, you know, you lose, but you're not up and down, game ready, loose. Everybody's usually sucking wind like the first two or three minutes of the game and they get really, really tired. Eventually, you ended up you know, blowing the shit out and you come back and you, you're fine. But like the starters, like that's like the worst five minutes of the game. Like your lungs feel like they warming up. You got a fire in your chest, holding on. So I used to try to make it through the first four or five minutes of the game without getting any fouls. Cause I always knew, I always knew whenever I got an early foul, little, something ticky tack, trying to figure out what the refs, how the refs are going to call the game tonight in the first couple of minutes. Whenever I got one, I usually always got two before the end of the first half. And I, 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 it pissed me off because it was like, okay, I can get two and in the first half. Then if it's too early in the half, I'm going to have to sit the rest of the half. Or I can play and I just got to be tentative. I can't really guard the way I want to. But whatever I can do, whatever I can't, what, the last thing I can do is get three. If I get three, then I probably got to start off on the bench in the second half or I got to be super careful with the second half. So um, 
You know what I mean? That was just one of the games I always played myself. I didn't want to get any early dumb ones. And the biggest thing was after I, get, whenever I got the first one, I used to literally talk to myself during it. Like, I'm not getting two. I'm going to do everything perfect. I, like, it was times I'd be, like, putting my hands up or behind my back, just guarding guys, just to, like, instinctually stop myself from making any instinctual plays by, like, reaching or trying to swipe at the ball or block shots, anything, because I didn't want to pick up any ticky-tack fouls. But it's really important that, over the first four or five minutes of the game, you can kind of usually tell how the refs are going to call it, what they're going to let you get away with as far as um, – and I'll say the, the the biggest things with this are post-play, number one, how physical they're going to let you be in the post defensively, you know, really and offensively as well. Uh, screening. Screening is usually a big one. Uh, guys pick up fouls on screen so much in college it's ridiculous uh so you kind of got to usually be able to see what you're going to be able to get away with you know whether they're going to call you being wide on screens or everybody make sure that they come to a jump stop and they're not moving as well you know i mean things like that and the last thing is just how how physical they're going to let you be as far as hands on hands off on the perimeter and using your body because you know obviously they have the rule now when the guy's like pretty much facing the basket you can't have hands on them or you can't be touching offensive players what the rule you pretty much says but you know in a lot of situations they kind of let give you a little bit of leeway as long as you touch them and take the hand off right away so you need to figure that out and last thing is just the body you know even though you're cutting guys off how how much are they going to give you as far as like jockeying for position or riding guys when you're trying to beat them or get, beat them to a spot to get back in front of them on the on on dribble penetration so but all those things man you kind of just got to see how they're being how it's being called and try to stay away from the early ticky-tack fouls. You can avoid the fouls on screening and stuff in the backcourt where they're not even close to the rim. Those those are the ones that kill you and kind of get guys in foul trouble. So, In Shaka's post-game conference yesterday, he talked about the jawing between him and Tyler uh, that was going on in the game. And, I, and I, apparently it was Tyler said, he's like, I know when to take my shot, like in a good way. like And, and you know, Shaka said confrontation – is good when it brings you together. Uh, he invites that type of communication. Like earlier in the year, way in the beginning, I heard him even challenge Marcel saying, hey, we need him to actually to be a point guard like Tyler is. We have to get him there. And Marcel's sitting right there, like in a Big East right. conference. And, and I loved that honesty. Confrontation, though, is a delicate balance. Um, in your time playing, you've been in multiple locker rooms, when have you seen confrontation go wrong? And when have you seen it used to help you grow as a team? Man, I'm not looking for great... personal stuff. I'm no, not looking no, for any, I don't no, want you to dog at him, but like in general, right? You know, but but no, that's fine. Number one, man, that was a great moment. And uh, and it was funny because I was sitting upstairs and I was watching the game with my wife. She did have, you know, half watching, she doesn't really give a shit, but uh <laughs> she's like, you know, I'm like. You know, I see Shaka like run up to him after like the I think it was like a deflection or something where we ended up getting the ball, and uh, I see him run up to 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 Tyler and like yell something at him, and I saw Tyler's response, and I just like said it to myself out loud, like I was like, yeah, he just challenged him. I didn't I didn't have any idea what he said, what the conversation was about. I just saw the way Kolek played after. And I'm like, every time he came, you know, and he come back and he's looking at the bench like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to fucking show you. You think <laughs> I'm fucking around? Like, you think yeah. I'm like, 
I was so excited to see that. Like, and a lot of people don't necessarily understand it. I'm not sure how, how, because it can be mistaken from from the optics outside. You know what I mean? People that don't understand what goes into this. Like, every time a coach challenges you or gets on your ass, man, it's not a bad thing. It's a good challenge, man. And that that's one of the beautiful things about sports and this game in general, man, to be able to see him openly challenge him in front of everybody and, like, Kolek not be like, man, you know, man, like, Coach, why are you doing me? You know, he like, no, fuck that. I'm, I'm going to fucking show you. I got this shit. Like, and he comes out and he goes on the whole run, man. And that's huge. If he doesn't play well, who knows what happens yesterday, you know what I mean? But, you know, that's Shaka's point of challenging them. You know what I mean? He wants them to respond. He don't. You think he gives? He doesn't care if he's looking back over at him on the bench as he makes a shape. He's like, you know, he's over there smiling and clapping harder than anybody. You know what I mean? So it's helping the team. It's helping Todd. It's helping everybody. So it's really cool to see, man. And uh, that's one of the beautiful things about sports. Man, I just knew that he had challenged him and said something, and I saw the way Cole looked. He's like, man, get the fuck out of here. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> Okay, you know, like you know, I seen it come out. And he, I think he bombed the next one, and it was like, yeah, I was about to say he made like two in a row. Then he took a heat check that like barely rimmed down. And I was about to say the the roof was gonna blow off the place if he made that one. He just looking at Shaka the whole time, and Shaka like, yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 coaching, man. That's great. How do you got to get it done to get a response out of your guys, a positive response, not a negative, not. I'm going in to feel sorry for myself to soak or I'm mad because Coach yelled at me, but like, you know, hell no, I'm about to go out here. I'm about to compete. I'm about to play. I'm about to show you. I'm about to do it. So, like, that's that's what this thing is about, man. It's really cool to see, man. It was a great, it was a cool moment, really. That is culture. I think what we're no, talking about right now, is. that's that that's culture in the locker room. And you know, you can't watch a Shaka smart interview and not hear him talk about culture. The reality is, is all coaches talk about it because it is important. It a hundred percent is, you know, and, yeah. and while your personnel is important, you got to have the right guys who are, who are going to have the right mindset to buy into it. I also think the coach has to do something to instill that culture. You know, I don't know if you've spent any time with Shaka or, or even just what you've seen in the games that you've watched, but what do you think makes him so good at getting people to buy into what he's selling? Yeah, I'm about to say, and first, I guess I didn't really answer the last question either. I have a ton of stories about. <laughs> oh, let's rewind. Like, we can go back down say, all night. Dude. Listen, that happened. <laughs> that happened. Shit, that was like every game when I was playing. So, like, it, whether it was coach, you know, what I mean, Crane, player versus player, like it did, like open gym, like that. that that's that's it's so it's so normal it's so normal and it's like it, it and when you get like when you're in a team and you have true camaraderie nobody bats an eye at it because nobody because as long as everybody knows where they stand it you know it never comes from a place of negativity we all love each other we all want each other to do the best and bring the best out of each other sometimes it's not always not a pat on the ass sometimes it's getting down and, you know, putting a foot in your ass. So it's just the way it is. So, man, I'm about to say, I, I, I didn't want to just uh, glaze over that. Like, I, I have a ton of stories, but it's probably too many to ever really tell. Just, like, it happens so often, and it came from so many different ways. But that's a part of accountability, man. Guys are going to hold you accountable. That's, that's when you got something special. So that's nothing to worry about. Those are all great things to see. 
And uh, yeah, and I guess what was the last question, huh? About the culture, uh, about just, how oh, yeah, what you about, see from yeah, the shock of the culture. Say, yeah. Yeah, and so just going on that, and I and I have actually got an opportunity to meet Shaka a couple of times. Uh, we spoken pretty much. Um, I'll say I'll say off and on since since we found out he pretty much got the job. Man, he's done a great job, but not just me, but staying in contact with all our guys, the alumni, reaching out to us, building building bridges, getting to know us more. Uh, you know, I mean, just getting to know him, his family, everything, our, the, the coaching staff that they have up there. Man, I've been doing, I've been trying to do everything in my power I can just to help those guys out and make them feel welcome and let them know that they had a full support. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, not just the people that are there now, but the people that have been there, the alumni, you know, we all want to see this thing get back going and get get back to and stay at a great place. And we, and I, I, I'm confident in saying that we all, we were all excited because we all felt he was a great fit for the culture and the job, man. And uh, and, I, and I know that's a big thing for him. And I think more than anything, it's just been impressive to see it come to fruition so quickly. Um, I'm a I'm a realist, I'm sure, but uh, for the most part, our fan base are pretty adept at being real people. They understand college basketball really well. Uh, more than most fans' bases, you know, we're not we're emotional, but we're not overly emotional. At least that's how I like to feel us. So, uh, we I don't think anybody can say that they were expecting this in the first year with so many guys not being here anymore, so many new guys, so many question marks. Uh, and you know, what I mean, and just just being his first full year, getting things under his belt and get go, getting going, man. So it's it's been really cool to see, and it speaks to who he is as a coach and, and a person, man. That's 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 special. He's got six. What is it? Six top twenty-five wins. Yep. And I think that's tied for the most in program history in his yep. first year. Yes. And year. it's first in college basketball right now. You know what I mean? So it's like it's. It's, it's been a special year, and it's not necessarily, like I said, it's not a storybook thing where it's like, oh, we're going to have the Cinderella ending. And I'm not saying that we won't, but I'm just saying, you know, regardless of all of that, what's happened up until this point, regardless of what happens going forward, has been impressive. So it's really cool. I think we're all confident and secure in the direction that the program is heading in as far as from – a competitive standpoint and a culture standpoint. And that's really cool to say being on and being in a, a market alone. All right, man, the show is about to take a hard left turn here because we, we, you know, what's coming to we, mm-hmm. we invited some interaction with that uh, fan base that you were just speaking of. And so uh, the rest of the show is going to be a complete wild card, everybody. We're going to be jumping around topics, but I thought it was some good stuff out there. And the first thing I want to point out is when I sent out the tweet inviting some questions, I put one of the greatest defenders in Marquette history. And there were some people that were kind of like, you know, scoring, scoring. What the the hell? It's like I offended people. But, you know, for me, like, why? I think it's the defensive side of the ball that just something always stands out to me. Do you see yourself like – Back then or even now, when you define yourself as a player, do you say, I was a defensive dude who could go get his when he wanted it? Or I was a scorer who could lock you down? Like, what sort of did you lead with when you think about how you define yourself in uh, your college time? And 
and this is what I tell people all the time, I never have an issue with being called a defensive player first, even though it's it's funny because we're in a day and age, that's what people do. They go, oh, man, he's one of the best defensive, like, that's kind of like, oh, so he can, he wasn't very good often. No, no, it's not what that means. <laughs> it's not exactly what that means. He was a pretty good, a really good offensive player necessarily too, but you know what I mean? The defense leads. And for me, my entire career, the trajectory that my career went on, it all started at a defensive base. I was a defensive guy first. I wasn't the most skilled guy in the world. I had an unbelievable desire and yearning to get better. I had an unbelievable desire and yearning to know history and watch players that came before me add things to my game, take things from other people's games. And I love basketball. So through years and years and years of work, I became a really good offensive player as well. But I was always a good defender first. So I never take slight with it. I'm fine with it. But at the same time, this is why uh, one of the things you'll see me say sometimes, especially on Twitter and stuff, I love two-way players who care who cares if you can score 30 but you can give up 30 my mindset was always I can give you 25 and I can hold you to under 10 so I win that's how you win so <laughs> no, I'm fine with that that's, that's really cool though I did see some of the comments though like yeah how about all time second all time <laughs> yeah second second kind of sucks now but Marcus has got that in the bag so you hear that, Twitter Nation? I'm right. You're wrong. Okay, let's make sure that we understand that Jarrell just agreed with me. Um, listen, I, I get the more cell comps with you, right? I, I, I understand <laughs> where people are coming. But I could also think, because I was thinking about uh, Travis, too. Like, I'm sure he gets a lot of Tyler comps for just whatever yeah. reason in our head that we look. So I'm going to flip that question on you. Let's adjust the perspective. What is different about your games? And where does maybe he excel, where maybe you didn't? Where was somewhere you excel that you think he needs to get to? I'll tell you one thing for sure. He's better. I'm about to say he's a lot more, I feel like, disciplined as a defender than I was. He's more disciplined, but I feel like I was more aggressive. So I love that fact that he's more disciplined, though, because he gets to stay in the game and he doesn't get in foul trouble as much as me. So, and, and, he's, and he's actually really important for this team offensively as well. So it's really cool, man. So, uh, yeah, I would say that that's what the kind of things uh, that why I say we were different. And, uh, and, and as far as the vice versa of it, like I said, one of the real – interesting things about it. it was like I was reading something the other day I think it was doing one of the game they said he had like I'm not sure like maybe like 20 point games or something that he had prior to this year none and he didn't have any 20 like, point and, games prior to this and now the dude was lighting um, him up to start the season <laughs> unbelievable and it was like and I was thinking about that I was like okay so and and I've seen him play a little bit prior to him being at Marquette but not a lot so I was like man I can't believe like you know, he hadn't had more success offensively. And I would say since coming coming out of my freshman year, I had an impact offensively from my sophomore year on. I was close to being a leading scorer on the team pretty much every year after that. So uh, I, I would say that's just where our, game, our games differed a little bit. But 
we, we, I, we do, I do see a lot of similarities. Now, I love the defense. He got a big East. He, got, he don't have a big East. He has a big 10 defensive player to get a trophy. I have the big East one. Uh, I still hold mine in a little bit higher regard than his, though. So maybe he can go get another one for us because I, I don't know when the next time that'll happen. But yeah, uh, I, I, I like the comparisons. He, he actually does from a past, and I kind of, kind of look like me a little bit, especially when I was younger in college and a lot more lean and shape. I had less hair growing everywhere, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But it, it's cool, though, man. I got so many DMs and so many people that hit me, especially, like, people that were around or still around the program. They're like, man, this dude reminds me of you so much, the way he guards, the way he moves, the way he looks in a market jersey. And I'm like, oh, my God, if I get this one more time. So I guess we could go ahead and address it now. <laughs> We've addressed it, Twitter Nation. Stop DMing this dude about it. We got it. We got it. Um, Let's go back in time. What was the recruiting process like for you coming out of high school and what drew you to Marquette? Oh, the recruiting process is interesting for me, man. Um, I would say I, I, I was a highly talented high school player. I wasn't the most highly talented. I wasn't a five-star guy. I wasn't even probably a – I'll say I was three or four-star guy. I was a top 100 player in the nation, though. You know what I mean? So – Dude, shout out your uh, high school, man. You got to shout uh, out uh, Hillcrest High School. Also. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, you already know, and I'm and I'm still there as well on the coaching side now. We Killing got a really it, good Killing team it. this year. So shout out to all the guys, man. We got to keep it going, finish strong. But uh, but yeah, I had a good high school career. Um, I was a parade All American uh, nominee for the McDonald's game. I played in the round ball classic game, so I had a really good college career. My recruiting, on the other hand, was a little bit different. A lot of people were scared to take a chance on me. They were like, "Oh, what position does he play? He doesn't shoot it great from outside. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He got so much he needs to work on." And uh, my biggest thing, I was always a competitor. Like I said, I was a defensive player first. So, um, short story. Uh, short story about it. I was I was probably for sure I would say going into my dream school I was going to go to uh, University of Illinois. Uh, they had really good teams then, man. Uh, right when I was coming out of high school, it was like the D like the Brown, D Brown era, you know, yeah, D Brown, yeah, Darren Williams, yeah, uh, Roger Powell, James, all, like all the like, and they, those guys were like rock stars to us here, and uh, a lot of those guys are from the area. And beyond all of that, my sister was a University uh, of Illinois alum. So she, um, I, I used to go down there all the time uh, when I was younger, like be on campus doing all the sibling weekend, all the other stuff with her and things like that. So it was like kind of already etched in my head. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to end up coming here to state this my home state school, great tradition, great program. A lot of this was going on doing kind of like the Bill Self era. So fast forward a little bit, Bill Self bails, leaves for Kansas. This is like going into my junior senior year. Bruce Weber comes in, gets the job. And, uh, you know, they that's when my recruitment for Illinois kind of picked up because I was like pretty much the number one uh, shooting guard at my position in the state at that time number one and number two whatever it may be so i'm like okay well all the state schools everybody from the big team starting to come in now a little bit later and uh uh one of the biggest things that stopped me and i tell people this all the time they're going from illinois they uh they offered another player at the same position as me it wasn't any conflict it was a conflict of interest kind of for me but either way they ended up 
getting a commitment and signing another player at the same position for me before they offered me. And I felt, you know what I mean, at the time, like I was, I should have got the first crack at it or whatever it may be. So I went like, I was on like in my mind as a scorcher. I wasn't, I was never going to U of I from that point forward, even though I thought that was where I was going to end up yet. But I had them, uh, Purdue was on the short list. This is like before Matt Painter became a coach. Uh, Gene Katie was still the acting coach, but they knew they were going to turn it over and I would have played for Matt Painter. They recruited me really hard. I really liked their program. I got close to going there. Uh, Dayton was really good with uh, Brian Gregory was the coach then. Uh, I'll tell you who always made an impact with me. Uh, Porter Moser was the head coach at Illinois State at the time. He was trying to get me and my uh, my high school teammate, uh, Maurice Acker, to come down. And, like, it's a package deal down there. I always liked that dude, man. He was such a good guy. I love him. And, I love him. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. He's such a good guy, man. I thought he was always a great coach. It was just I didn't think Illinois State was the right fit for me. So and uh and then and then we kind of had uh we had Marquette uh come in and uh and Coach Crean. I he I just me and his relationship more than things was still to deal with me. He was the first major high major program that offered me a scholarship. I would have got, they would give me the opportunity not only to play and, uh, you know what I mean, for a great coach and a great program, but I had the, the opportunity to go and play in the inaugural year of the Big East Conference with the 16 teams. And for me in high school, the biggest thing for me was I wanted to see, uh, you know what I mean, whether I succeeded or failed, uh, how I stacked up against the best. And so competition was a big thing for me. I wanted to, I wanted it to be a grind every single night. And I knew that whatever I did, if I was good enough to do it, I'd probably be able to good enough to do something else. So uh, I wanted to go and experience that. And Coach Cream was the first guy that offered me. And I told him from that point forward, I was like, you ain't got nothing else to worry about. I committed to Marquette University without ever taking an official visit. Uh, I went on my official visit after I committed verbally. <laughs> what, so, really yeah, cool story yeah man cool story so what was it like when Kareem left oh i say that day was one of the weirdest days ever number one uh, if i'm not mistaken it was april fool's day keep this in mind and i'll and this is uh, the story i tell everybody because this is all i really remember it was april fool's april first uh it was like right after the season handed like maybe a week or two after and the NCAA tournament was still going on, but, like, we were all still sick from getting eliminated. Nobody wanted to watch. We were just sitting in our rooms, going to class, chilling out, taking a little time, letting our bodies recover. And I just remember being uh, – I was, I had came home after class and got a nap in. I was in my room. I just remember being in my room in my bed. And, uh, and uh, Wes and Meek ran up to my room. Like, they literally lived, like uh, – the way our rooms used to be set up, we all lived either right above or below each other in Humphrey Hall. So, like, we all had the corner rooms. and So, we, each, we it was a staircase right outside the door. So, all we did was, like, run up and down the stairs and run in and out of each other's rooms. Like, that's that was, like, the coach of me. So, they ran up to the room. Real, real, wake up, wake up. Coach leaving. I'm like, dude. Okay, haha, I get it. I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm taking a nap in here. Like, it's April Fool's, but like, y'all come with a better one than that. Yeah, it's like literally. I turned on my, my TV, was on already, but I put it on ESPN. It was a uh, uh, pardon interruption was on. 
And that was like the last thing that they did. And like, like right after like the errors and omissions, it was like breaking news. <laughs> Tom Crean is uh, supposedly heading to Indiana from Marquette University. And the biggest thing was just shock. <clears throat> we, um, being kids at the time, going into what would be our, our senior year, and and from and from our and our standpoint in our minds, up until now we had underachieved uh, because our whole thing from the time that we all got together was we were going to be the group that took us back to another Final Four. That was always our thing, and uh, and my opinion, we still would have done it if you know what I mean. Uh, obviously, health and things kind of catching a break here and there come into it, but. Um, you know, we didn't understand why then we were like, damn, like, I get it. And it was like, damn, but just like, so last year, like, he knows we're going to be like a perennial top 10 team all year if he has, you know what I mean? We know coach knows this. It's just like, damn, why now? Why now? Why now? So that was like the biggest thing with us, just like why now? Like when he couldn't finish the run with us, kind of. That was the only feeling that I, I that we all kind of felt. But beyond that, it was just like kind of you know a little bit of shock, disbelief. But it wasn't any like anything crazy. It was more so just everybody kind of felt out of place for a while because it was, we were in like this hold in between where it was like we had authority, but you know what I mean? We didn't really have authority. (laughs) We all thought we had authority in college. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, uh, like, I don't know how people understand, how much people understand it, but like in college basketball, like your, your college coach is like the principal, you know what I mean? Like to put in like another term, like, Everything you do, your life, the way your classes are set up, where like it kind of revolves around how does coach want to do this? You know, <laughs> like that makes yeah. sense. Like so, it's like to have that two, three weeks or whatever. I'm not even sure how long it was in between coaches, but like that disarray a little bit. It was just like, damn, we were kind of like displaced, and just like everybody was kind of like doing their own thing. And uh, we had people that were around us. Todd Smith, I'll give a shout out to him, our strength and conditioning coach, the best in the world, one of the best people in the world uh, as well, man, just a great person, great family overall. But he was huge for us, man, because he kept us together. We kept going doing workouts, even though we had, like, nobody there. Like, Coach Cream was going to essentially end up taking half the staff some guys, you know, I mean, weren't going with them, but they were looking for new like it was like so it was like a ghost town in the basketball. Essentially, <laughs> you know, what I mean, and we all 17, 18 year old, not 17, 18, but you know, 20, 21 year old kids at the time, we like, damn, like what is going on here? We really could just do whatever we want. Nobody's doing class checks anymore. We're like, what is going on? So it was a little bit of disbelief, but um, after the dust settled a little bit. We were fine. Our biggest thing was just, man, we didn't want to get – we didn't want any coach that was going to come in and destroy everything that we had built up into that point. We had – we at that point, that was the point in time where I tell those guys, uh, even to this day, uh, that's where our ownership in this program kicked in. That We were – we had ownership after our third year being at Marquette because we were prepared for Coach Cream to leave. It didn't matter who was our, who our next coach was. We weren't going to allow any one person 
whether it be in a leadership position or not, uh, knock us off course of what we were trying to do and uh, what this program meant to all of us, what our traditions was, what our culture was. He was going to have to come in and kind of fit into what we did. And luckily, they uh, they made a great decision, I feel like, in, in hiring somebody that was already there and kind of understood how things worked at that point with Buzz Williams. So mm-hmm. uh, it ended up being a, a, a pretty cool transition, even though we lost some other people along the way. Things didn't go perfect. They never do. But, uh, you know, I mean, we got opportunity to play out there last year. And it's like I said to this day, if uh, if Neek doesn't break his foot, uh, I still believe we would have we would have completely accomplished the goal that we set out for, which would have been the final four. Yeah, uh, a couple of quick hitters before I get you out of here. Toughest play to play in the Big East. That's a good one. That's a good one, man. I would have to say, and this, I'm not sure if this even counts anymore because a lot of these places. Listen, Freedom Hall was a tough place to play. Uh, I know it's the what is the KFC Yum Center now, and it's yeah. like a beautiful facility. But oh my god, you pulled up their Freedom Hall and you seen those horse stalls. It was like it felt like two hundred degrees in that building. No matter what time of year you played, the fans are so loud. Oh my god, there Syracuse was very difficult just because of the atmosphere in the dome. And uh, man. If I had to throw one more in there, I thought it was a sleeper one was uh, uh, Rutgers. The rack at the rack, the rack was not a nice place to play. It's not a very <laughs> easy place to play. And, uh, it's a tough game. We lost a tough game. They were doing like the Quincy Doobie area. They had some good teams. Uh, yeah, so those, those would be my top three at least. Toughest player you ever had a guard? And this, this one usually so. Uh, my freshman year, and I keep tallying this type of stuff. Like I said, I'm a defensive guy first. I, t- I keep tallying the people who get me. Uh, uh, my Our freshman year, we lost a heartbreaking game to Villanova, and it was like 99% my fault. I still have, uh, like, nightmares about this. <laughs> but uh, – and this used to happen a lot. We used to start off the game, Coach Cream would start the game, and it would be like me and Joe Chapman. He put Joe Chapman on one guy, put me on another guy. Have like three, four minutes into the game, Joe Chapman would look at me and be like, "Real, this, you take this dude. I can't go." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this used to happen all the time, and I used to be like, "All right, whatever, don't matter." So uh, Villanova, though, I started off on uh, guarding Allen Ray, who was a damn good player. And they had a good team. This was a team with Ray, Allen Ray, Cal Lowry, Mike Nardi, and Randy Foy. Oh. Man. Uh, Randy Foyda in college at Villanova was probably the hardest guy to guard. And I was and I would say he probably didn't give me the most the the most but but he killed me at the end of the game on that man. He had he hit me with so many different moves. And if he was like he was just such a complete college player for me. I keep in mind I was also a freshman. He was like in his second well, actually he went to the NBA, I believe, yeah, I believe. But man, he killed me and I, I just remember saying to myself uh defensively I was like damn it really ain't because this is one of my key things defensively I will I'll pride myself into forcing guys to do something that they're not comfortable doing and I was like I remember just sitting on myself on the way home after we tricked that game off we really should have won it and we I pretty much tricked it off myself and I was like damn 
it's really not a lot this dude can't do offensively. <laughs> so I was trying to think of like, if I ever run into this dude again, what the hell am I going to stop? And I'm like, you tell Maurice, get over there and guard his ass. You know what yeah, I mean? You're like, yeah, I got to switch for you all the time, man. You get over there. <laughs> Foy, Foy was a good one. Randy Foy was a hell of a player, hell of a college player. And that, and that Villanova team was built a lot like our team going on for the next couple of years uh, with the four guards and stuff. So it was really cool to get a chance to play against those guys. He's him. And uh, we had we had a ton of other really good guys as well, man. But that was one of the ones that always stuck out to me is probably because I was so young as well. And I also went on to get the opportunity to play a little bit in Utah with the Jazz with him in the NBA, which was cool. And uh, and also uh, I spent a little time with Toronto with Larry as well. So and both of those guys are really good guys, man. And, uh, you know, they still remember those days. So it was a little big East love. So back in your Marquette days, last question, I get you out of here. Where were your where was your spots? Where did you guys go? Were you Angelos? Where you know where where were you? Where did you, you, <laughs> I you wish I just saw the no look on idea. your face when I you said Angelos. No <laughs> idea, Angelos. You know, those people are family. <laughs> Yeah. And the family that owns it, the guy that owned Angelo, they had been there forever. I got the entire backstory. That was my, that was our spot. I won't even say my spot. That was our spot. Every night concluded with us taking a little trip by there, getting a couple, a, a pizza and, and, a, and a couple pitches of beer. Uh, Angelo's was for sure our spot, and those guys always treat us like from the moment we stepped on campus, those people were fans. I was truly sad to see when they closed that, that place down, man. Mm-hmm. And oh my god, so many, so many crazy nights in there. I can have so many memories from that spot, but Angelo's was our spot. And uh, don't die, and I can't, I can't be failed to not say Murph's as well. We got, we, yeah. I, we we had one too many good nights in Merce. Let's just say that, okay? Just one. Too we always had Merce was always the place that carded a little bit harder. It was easier to get into Angelos. For you, you probably yeah. didn't have that problem. But a little pudgy eighteen year old like myself yeah. over here, yeah. no one was letting yeah. me in the front door. You know, you know, everything was about time, and you know, you just had to go at the right hour. That's what it was all about. You had to go at the uh, right time. That was good, man. But yeah, yeah Angelos is definitely the spot, man. And little to go to. Oh, I hear you. Well, dude, I, I, this wasn't really an interview. I think this was like a show takeover. I think it was like a co-hosting <laughs> today. The Adam and Jarrell show. Well, the Jarrell and Adam show. I couldn't I thank you more, forward. man. This is good stuff. I look forward to the next episode, man. It's always fun. I appreciate you having me on, talking it up a little bit. Hey, absolutely. Hey, good luck. Hillcrest, man. Make some moves out there. Yeah, but we're going to try to make something happen. We're going to keep it going. Thank you again, Adam. All right, man. We'll see you. Take care. What an absolute honor to have that man on the pod. Jarrell McNeil, one in a million. Thank you so much for co-hosting with me tonight. And you know what? I don't know what we got planned for next week. We'll do something. We'll switch it up. Maybe we'll bring someone in. Maybe we'll do Twitter reactions. You tell us. What do you want to hear next week? But I'll tell you this. We're always here for the greatest fans in college basketball. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic night.